Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And today, or in fact tonight, because it's late-ish over here, a witching hour almost, Julian. My guest, Julian Reeves, sitting in front of me, all the way from LA, and he's got a really strong American accent, everybody, so you just have to really listen hard and work your way through it. So, good evening, Julian. Good evening. I'll, I'll try very hard with the accent this evening. <laughs> you are expecting some southern drawl from LA, and it's this <laughs> beautiful, crisp English accent. And what are you doing in that neck of the woods, Julian? Tell me all about it. Good question. Yeah, we uh, we moved over here in 2012. I met my wife in Istanbul, actually. We were working on a production of Chicago, and uh, she just applied for the green card. And um, yeah, so cutting a very long story short, we uh, I decided to join her on, on this great journey. We moved to New York in 2012, and then my work with the musical Hamilton brought me West Coast in 2017. And um, yeah, we decided to stay, so we're just outside LA. Very nice. Fantastic. So there's a bit to unpack in there. And, and I know we're here to talk about perfectionism, which is mm-hmm. which is lovely. Uh, but let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Tell me tell me about your um, your story. Sure. So I, I've been a music director for about 25 years. Um, I've worked in musical theatre mainly. Um, my both of my parents were very um, successful within music particularly education um and it was there kind of where my own perfectionism grew um we'll probably come back to that bit but um the the kind of the career has been a really nice mix actually of of kind of uh, big music theater stuff that's taken me all around the world to crazy places like japan south korea scandinavia various parts of the states before we moved here um and also business i i co-founded a a talent agency I've had a production company um, and I've kind of needed that mix in in my career um, uh, kind of period really just just that kind of variety and everything that I do has always been important Um, but it was musical theatre really that kind of led the way and certainly when we moved to the states although I was focused on on business too uh, I fell in with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's crowd Um, i took out Bring It On, which is a kind of lesser known musical that that Lynn created uh, in 2014 on its second national tour in the States. And they were just putting Hamilton together at the time. And they invited me to join the Broadway team of Hamilton in 2016. And then I was music director for the first national tour 
that started in San Francisco in 2017. Okay. Um, and the kind of the, let me let me yeah, leap in if I would just ask some yeah, of the yeah. questions that the audience probably are thinking about. Um, you're using this phrase musical director, but what is a musical director? Well, the music director in musical theatre is the guy in the pit that's basically in between the stage and the audience. So he's responsible for the running of the show every night, um, but also the kind of creative um, upkeep of the show and the creative management. And so what's the career progression from that? Obviously, is there a band in the pit with you or are you just uh, nothing about on your own? (laughs) <laughs> yeah well it depends on the size of the show i mean no, normally for shows that, that i've been involved in which is largely contemporary musical theater um the band size will be anywhere between kind of six or seven to 12 or 14 in, in the yeah. west end or broadway um yeah and, and it's uh in terms of progression i mean you you kind of start out as as a as a musician um as a, either a keyboard player yeah. normally um i i'm also a drummer so that kind of helped my in so um, so well exactly <laughs> only, only a musician on one hand thank you for that um but the uh, the 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 kind of the the crawl up the ladder largely comes with just being in the industry and you know people getting to know you your skill set uh, what you do, your personality, um, all of those things, um, yeah. and then yeah, eventually. I mean, I, I think my my first my first main job as a music director was actually as an assistant music director, and then I I kind of crawled a little bit further up the ladder to to MD. Okay, now um, you and I have a shared background because. I was a professional musician as well, and I was in musical theatre. And <laughs> there you go. I was on the playing side of it. Um, okay. Musical direction. So I was a viola play and um, such like. And I was Les Mis and Phantom and all those sorts of shows. Great. Uh, so I, I get what I, a, music, a musical director is. I, I love the fact that an ex-viola player is throwing drum jokes around. That's, I know. That's I quite mean, funny. <laughs> luckily, we'll both take it out and sing us. <laughs> Very good. Um, now, you and I know that musicians um i think everyone has a very romantic idea about musicians but actually the 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 thing about music often it's not the creative artistic enterprise people think it is it's a it's a it's a process sometimes which involves either being bored stiff stiff or scared stiff but also it's about the ruthless elimination of mistakes isn't it it's about almost you know creating the same performance every night without actually having a recording so you yep. still have to pay everybody, but you really want it the same every night. And and I understand why you suddenly became interested in perfectionism, because it's sort of inherent as musicians, isn't it? Very much so. Um, the, th- through COVID, actually, there was a lovely podcast featuring the band uh, or orchestra from Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. Mm. Um, Phantom's been running for 30 years over there, and the, the, it's the same pit band. And so these guys have been playing the same piece of music yeah. eight times a week um, for 30 years. Yeah. And there are some lovely stories in there of, you know, I think that the, 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 one of the violinists actually calls himself a violin operator. Yes. Um, so, you know, he's kind of taken the, the kind of all the creativity away from his job title. Yeah. Um, and as far as perfectionism goes, it's it's a really interesting battle because, to your point, you know, we are paid to produce the very best without mistakes every night. That's yeah. our job. Yeah. And how we achieve that and how we go about that is um, integral to longevity. Yeah. Because if we go about it in the wrong way, we will experience burnout which kind of happened to me. Um, and Lovely. if we go about it 
correctly, we can actually use our traits positively to succeed in, in, in that field. Okay, so let's unpack this a bit again. So I remember when I was in Les Mis, I remember the first time we did it. It was like, um, it was very, it was lovely. You know, you go in, you learn the dots and such like. Uh, the person in front of me had literally had a virtually had a nervous breakdown um, because right. of the, the show. He was very artistic, very creative. And he equated it like this. On the first night, what you do is you dig a hole. And on the second <laughs> night, you dig a second hole. And on the third <laughs> night, you put the hole from the earth from the first hole into the second night. Uh, second hole and on the fourth night you dig another hole and then the fifth night you put the hole the earth from that hole back into that hole and actually you stop building any new holes you just go backwards and forwards just emptying and building and digging out new holes Mm -hmm. now for me i've always equated this with resilience which is about you know what, what we're all about here and um you know, I've always looked at the analogy of people thinking about sports and commerce and sports and business. And I've yes. never stood understood that idea of, you know, rehearsing for four years and then doing something once for 10 seconds. It makes no mm-hmm. sense. For me, the ultimate resilience is like being in a call center. You're ringing, you're ringing, you're ringing. It's the relentless operation. It doesn't matter where you're hot, you're cold, you're drunk, you're unwell, you're bereaved, you're stressed, you're burned out. You've just got to knock the dots out. And, yes. and actually, the biggest crime of all is being late. I always remember pitching up to the LSO once and being 15 minutes late. I mean, goodness, could I get a talent off? Didn't matter that I was, you know, incapable of sure. playing after that. Yep. What matters is I was late. So, yes. so tell me, how do musicians, how do musical directors build that? Before we get into perfectionism, how do you build that level of resilience? How do you, how do you begin to either tune in, tune out? begin to get that equanimity in, 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 and being able to perform at a high level, but without burning yourself out. Yeah, I, I think the tuning out element is, is an interesting one, certainly for music directors, because I don't think we necessarily enjoy that same opportunity as rank and file mu- musicians do. You know, I've been a rank and file musician. I read all of the Harry Potter books during my time on Greece as the as- associate music director, because I had enough time to, to, yeah. To, to do so. Yeah. Music directors, less so. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the, the resilience element is, it's so important, anyone involved in this type of work, it's so important to find the parts that you enjoy. Yeah, good. So forget the bits that you don't, because they're always going to be omnipresent, whether you're in this line of work or other lines of work. It's finding the parts that actually, oh, okay, yeah, well, this bit's quite fun. And it can kind of come from anywhere. It can come from your own part. It can come from the collective unison of playing with a section. It can come from a certain piece of music in the show. It can also come from script. It can come from the person sat next to you because their sense of humor is is appealing to you. Um, you can draw on all sorts of um, areas to actually find that positivity, but doing so is, is I think, integral to, to resilience because it's the only thing that keeps you going. And, and your point about the socialisation uh, and leadership is quite interesting here because I've worked with many appalling musical directors mm-hmm. and there's nothing better than pulling together a really great team spirit in a band. Absolutely than having a terrible music director, and the reverse. I remember a guy called David Furman. I don't know if you remember David Furman. Oh, I, I come across David, yeah. Brilliant music director. Yes. Yes. I mean, and, I mean, he's a man who can work in every pitch, you know, transposing up and down, right. and he can hear right. the tiniest little mistake. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the best music directors I've ever worked for, but he could get a brilliant band because everybody respected him, and he yes. was completely brilliant at what he did. He was probably the brightest, most intelligent, probably mm. the most 
gifted person in the room. And that doesn't right. happen much with musicians because everybody's individually top of their craft and the music director has to be actually quite average at everything in a funny sort of way. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like that analogy. I, I think for, for me, the music director is the least musical person in the room. And what mm. I mean by that is that the focus of the job Certainly the higher up the ladder I, I went, and certainly when I, when I got to Hamilton, it was it became less about the music and in terms about and in terms of me being the best musician in the yeah. room and more about me being the best leader, yes. but more importantly, me being the best facilitator. Yeah. So a lot of how I found my resilience in music theatre through uh, being a music director was actually to look outside of the, the, the box. So, you know, some music directors might just regard their job to be, okay, well, as long as all the notes are in the right place, people are singing the right lyrics and in the right time and everyone's happy, job done. Um, I've always been motivated to find out what makes people tick and how I can actually get them to perform at their highest level every night. Yeah. Sounds like somebody like David operates from a similar sort of standpoint. Yeah. You know, it, it's actually, uh, I consider it a duty of good music directors to lead in um, with moral leadership as a kind of solid foundation from a place of inspiration to, so that actually even on year five of a show, people are coming to work looking forward to playing music because there is a collective d desire yeah. to play it well. well and to get a great result. Yeah, And also there's something about discovery, you know, even after five years, you can discover new stuff sure. because you have a new person on stage or on set yes. and new team member, whatever it is. And I think your point here about the facilitation of a music director is the key because you're not the you're not the apex you're the fulcrum in a way Absolutely. aren't you and that's what yes. a lot of corporate leadership's about isn't it it's this idea yes. that you're not the most important person in the room normally you know the least but your job is to get out of the way and make it possible for everybody else to do their jobs that's the key isn't it yeah 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 completely it's it's a bit like you know in in coaching if if you're the one doing the doing the talking something's yeah. wrong yeah. Uh, so same same sort of sort of thing um and yes to, to your point that's very much a, a, an issue within within business too um and certainly my my work with perfectionism in business is quite interesting because the first hurdle is getting through to leaders that actually they don't have to be the best and then actually we can think about growth um or results in a kind of journey rounded way, as opposed to a pointed way of actually getting to the yeah. result um, in, in, in that kind of uh, direct manner. Yeah. Okay then. Um, so, well, let's, let's stop thinking and attacking this perfectionist thing head on because there is no doubt it is a, it's a, you know, it's as a, psych, a psych, psychologist, you know, it's one of the biggest things we wrestle with and it's, you know, it's one of the things we have to get a grip of cognitively. So um, tell me about your journey with Peg perfection I call it pigmatism <laughs> that's, which that's would a be a very very different conversation um, so um tell me about uh, your journey with perfectionism yeah sure so i i um i had no idea that i was a perfectionist not not really uh until i was kind of in in my 40s so i always knew that you know i had um you know great drive and all, all of those things um but I, I basically suffered a heart attack three months into my job with with Hamilton as the music director. Um, 
I just performed a show. I was on a walk home, had a very mild heart attack. Cutting a very long story short, um, it was kind of proven that perfectionism was the root cause. The reason why is that maladaptive perfectionism has, has actually affected me very badly throughout all of my life. Low self-esteem, bullying in a critic, you know, all the things that that people can relate to in that regard which led to some seriously bad lifestyle choices throughout my 20s and 30s, which inadvertently did the physical damage to my body. Yeah. So it so, was at that so point... Before, before you go further, just unpack yes. that a little bit more for me, because you would imagine if you're a perfectionist, you'd be looking after yourself utterly. But it's not narcissistic, is it? It's actually perfectionism about knocking yourself down, isn't it? Just talk a little Absolutely. bit more about that, yeah. if you would. So, so perfectionism has numerous kind of... Um, uh explanation so, so psychologists are, are, are still unraveling the subject really uh that's true because largely it was only really research from about 1990 so so they're all still kind of unpacking it which is which is fine the most simplest way to to explain perfectionism as i've come to understand it is that it can boil down to, to two parts there's the adaptive side and the maladaptive side the adaptive side is the side that you know we all relate to in terms of getting good results so high conscientiousness um working harder pushing through you know the 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 kind of general good stuff that that we all regard perfectionists to to attention to detail all of that the maladaptive side is is the bit that kind of people really struggle with um you know anxiety depression burnout even suicide is all associated with maladaptive perfectionism because effectively maladaptive perfectionism will inspire you to believe that nothing is ever good enough so as a perfectionist, you're constantly battling between the adaptive side and the maladaptive side to kind of try and create some form of equilibrium. But in order to create equilibrium, you need knowledge. And I didn't have that knowledge in my 20s and 30s, which is why there was no equilibrium. Um, yeah. And that's that that's the kind of um, that that sort of journey into that knowledge came was born out of the heart attack um my first kind of realization was a, a, a session with a psychologist who basically said look we need to get a better handle on your perfectionism particularly in the job that you're doing it's high stress it's a high you know uh, it's a high profile position we need to figure that out so off i went on that journey and and that was very interesting in itself um, and I, I then kind of realized that actually I was very passionate about spreading this message, which is when I did a TED talk in 2019 on adaptive and maladaptive perfectionism and actually how we need to promote the thinking that not all perfectionism is bad, um, partly because perfectionists don't want to, you know, society is very good at, at the message, overcome your toxic perfectionism before it kills you. It's really good at that kind of suggestion and, and uh, promotion of that message the problem with that is that perfectionists don't connect with it because they value their perfectionism they 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 believe that it gives them the edge over the competition or makes them better than others etc cetera, etc cetera. um so we have to find a way to speak to perfectionists in a different way and that's very much what, what the what the ted talk was focusing on which was using self-compassion to regulate our experiences with maladaptive perfectionism, uh, 
Um, and if you put that in a, a certain space within how we manage perfectionism, it can regulate our experience with with depression, uh, which is you know a, a, a big plus. Okay, so so just so just again unpacking that a little bit more, you're talking about self compassion. So what do you really mean by that? Sure. Well, self-compassion, um, according to Christine Neff, who's kind of the, the sort of leading psychologist on self-compassion, is broken down into three parts, self-kindness, mindfulness and common humanity. Um, self-kindness is where we learn to be warm and understanding to ourselves. Mindfulness is where we discover how to observe thoughts and feelings as they arise, but not necessarily to kind of uh, interact with them. We just let them float by and we, we don't connect with them. The common humanity element is basically where we recognize that, you know, suffering and imperfection is part of the human experience. Um, and I've used all of those three examples in, in my book, Caps Imperfection and, and the Secret of Self-Compassion, which teaches kids specifically how to develop that type of language with self-compassion to regulate their experiences with, with maladaptive perfectionism. So... <clears throat> I mean, I'm imagining, uh, and I may be wrong here, I mean, the old transaction analysis stuff about critical parents and such like, uh, you used to always produce the be perfect child. Um, is that why you're starting with kids or are you also working with adults? Uh, both. I, I wrote the book because ostensibly I wrote the book that I want, that I that I could have or should have read when I was that age. So I, I wrote I wrote the book and specifically it's for six to kind of 12 year olds. Um, but, you know, all of the reviews are great and saying that there's a lot of value in there, even for adults, um, which I'm really pleased about. Um, so, you know, I felt that it's important to get in, you know, perfectionism largely is it, it can be genetic, but it's also learned behavior and the learned behavior actually starts in childhood. So if we catch it early and if we develop really solid management techniques early on, then, you know, hopefully people will be able to still strive to be their very best, but in healthier ways, which will hopefully then mean that they avoid the type of situation that I found myself in. So if you're observing from the side, because a perfectionist parent's not ever going to spot a perfectionist child, um, even though they're probably the cause of it, some of it, anyway, hmm. if you're standing on the side, how do you see the warning signs of a, of a maladaptive perfectionist child developing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the kids will, so here, here are some kind of good, good examples. Low self-esteem, yeah. um, self-deprecation. So they constantly put themselves down. And in, in hindsight, that was me all the way through my childhood. Mistakes are unacceptable. So, you know, the tantrums on the floor when, when an art project goes wrong, for example. Um, they struggle to, perfectionistic kids struggle to celebrate when they do well. So even, even when they get the gold star at school or, you know, they complete a project and it's, it's raved about, they're already on to the next thing um, because, you know, that there's more perfection to be attained somewhere else. Fear of failure is another one. Um, you know, they'll be struggling to, um, you know, keep themselves present because they are too in the future to, uh, you know, what, worrying about what might happen. All or nothing thinking is, is, a, is another great example where they think that, you know, that something is either perfect or worthless and there's nothing thing perfectionistic kids will often think that there is only one way to do something they won't be able to see a global point of view as to how they might attack a project or um 
you know, whatever they're doing, they'll just go, no, it's this way. It's the classic kind of my way or the highway thing, but it's, um, it's very perfectionistic. Yeah, interesting. And so you decided to write a book and, and, and I'm not, this is not a flippant comment, but how does a perfectionist ever know when a book is ready to finish? Uh, great question. And it's something that I learned on my time in Hamilton through the growth, uh, understanding, um, you know, learning new tools of how I could manage my own perfectionism. And one of the ways I did that was to rather than think in a kind of straightforward or upward way uh, towards the result, I changed the approach to it. So if you imagine the result is directly in front of you, rather than driving straight towards it, I would actually put my arms around the journey. So instead of going this way, I actually go this way. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of answers the question in terms of enjoy the experience as much as the result. And I've got to the point where perfection for me now is how perfect the experience has been getting it to the result as opposed to the result itself. Because actually, if you think about it, you can't actually denote success or any any form of result um, when you haven't released a book yet. You know, you, the, the result is on the back of how it's going to be perceived. Um, so if you're reliant on that, it will never be good enough because it will never get released. So therefore, you won't actually ever get the result. So at some point, you have to draw a line under your own experience um, to say, OK, I'm satisfied with where this is. Um, and and trust that it is your best. Trust your process enough to know that it is your best. Um, and it, it, it the, the the more the more I work with my own perfectionism, the more I understand that trust is actually a huge word. Because the more we understand about our own behaviours and our triggers and all those sorts of things the more we come to understand how we can manage our perfectionism well. Mm. Um, and that's how I kind of managed to sort of write the final, the end uh, of the book, um, yeah. because I, I was like, okay, my experience has been good. I've put my all into this. Sure. There are going to be mistakes. And I was proved right. I, I proofread it, proofread it, proofread it. It was released with four mistakes yeah. that has just since been, been re-edited. Um, so was it released perfectly? No. Um, was it picked up for its imperfection? No. Um, could I have done it better? Yes. Should I beat myself up for not doing it better? No. Why? Because that's not conducive to a healthy outlook or it's not um, productive for me as a perfectionist to put energies into that type of negativity because I can put my energies into writing the next book, yeah. which is far more beneficial for me and everybody else. So, so that's fascinating. So I'll let you have a glass of water. Um, I, I was just going to interpret the, the hand signals a minute, but I decided we're past that point now. But your point's very interesting. There are, there's a form of maladaptive perfectionism where people won't get out of bed in the morning because they know they can't achieve anything to theirs, their own satisfaction. And so they end up achieving nothing. They're the people who at work are the people who don't take on a project because they know they can never do it. And I, yep. and I think I think what you said is there's that mindful thing about enjoying the process. I think that's very, very useful, very practical. But it's also that thing, uh, as you've said there, it's about it's not it's, it's sometimes about your best, but sometimes it's about knowing what's good enough. Yes. And it's that redefinition of perfectionism of being that's good enough, isn't it? Because because actually I, I've, I've heard managers say this before, you know, that's perfect. 
and they're saying, but no, it's not good enough. I said, no, it is good enough. It's a fact. It's perfect. And it's that yeah. validation using the words you need, isn't it? So, you know, you have to reset your own definition. But I think your observation about enjoying the, the, the perfectionism comes in the process, that gratitude, the mindfulness of being alive as you as you as you deliver that process i think that's a stunning observation well thank you um no i i think you know maladaptive perfectionism and people that struggle with it um i i advise people that that just can't get started because they're so desperate for perfection that they're kind of frozen in this in this yeah. kind of psychological state just start small yeah break it all down the, the problem with uh, us perfectionists are so good at building very big pictures. We're great at it. We can solve world problems in our sleep because we're like, yep, I know how to do this. But the problem with that is that those pictures are very big. Even if they're attainable, they're hard. Yeah. And it's difficult to know where to start. And it's difficult not to fall into the trap of, well, you know, am I going to do everything perfectly? So simply taking one of those elements and, and starting, even if it's a paragraph, you're writing a book, just write the first paragraph and leave it. Go and do something else. Don't obsess over it. Just leave it. Because it is to, to your point about, um, you know, managers and, and good enough. I've found that my own perception of perfection will change even on an hourly basis. Yeah. So everyone has a different idea of what perfection is. So for example, I can write a paragraph on a Monday morning at eight o'clock and leave it at nine o'clock thinking that it's great, that it's my best work. I can come back to it at 11 and, and reevaluate. I can also do the completely flip side and do write my paragraph at eight o'clock thinking that it's terrible, come back to it at 11 o'clock and think, actually, this is really good. Yeah. So the point is, is that, you know, we're, we're constantly evolving and just being human and being alive simply means that, you know, perfection and, and our very best is going to change. Yeah. Um, and a, a, another kind of quick tip with, with, the, with the perfectionism thing in terms of just simply being able to move forward is prioritize. Our pictures are often so big that they get blurred very quickly and we put all of the colours in there and it's like, wow, okay, I've got all these colours. How am I actually going to paint anything of real value? Yeah. Just choose one colour or choose the colour that is most important to you. What's your favourite colour? Blue, great. Just take that crayon out and, and, and paint that part of the picture. Yeah. Then you can add other colours. Um, and it, th that prioritization is actually really valuable because it helps people succeed in ways that they want to succeed through their perfectionism yes. whilst actually getting rid of the stuff that they don't really care about, which is really important to longevity. And that's interesting because you can often mistake or you can often confuse the symptoms of perfectionism and procrastination because they both look entirely similar because they both involve doing nothing. But yes. they come from a totally different place. One's, right. about, one's about energy and passion or one's about, as you say, the sort of fear of completion. And so it, it's as, it, it is quite interesting. It's, it's probably, you know, it's, you, you've got to watch out that you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with the right diagnosis here when you're a manager. Otherwise, you end up deploying the wrong um, issue. And of course, um, many of us, I mean, I've met a lot of perfectionistic women because of the, the work I do. And um, mm -hmm. they all tell the same story of living with husbands who do work terribly badly so they go around and do it again properly housework <laughs> washing up sure. and it's sort of yes. like they're the, the easiest people in the world to manipulate which again is part of that sense of you know i'm going to have to put someone else's um you know pick fix someone else's mistake but then put it back on yourself because it's that 
martyrdom you often get with a perfectionist, don't you? This sort of martyrdom of no one else is good as me, and yet I'm not good enough. And so you, you marry together that strange yin and yang where you're in the yes. middle and neither now the summit. It, it, yes. It's a tricky place to be, isn't it? It, it really is. And in my experience, the, the key to that balance, it's all about self-worth. Yeah. If you can get to the point where you value yourself enough to know that you're crossing lines, that's when you start to manage perfectionism successfully Brilliant. because you're realizing that you're going too far. And I, I do this on a regular basis. I did it four days ago. I was all over the place. I was stressed. I wasn't sleeping, had too much on, et cetera, et cetera. And I know enough about my perfectionism now to understand what my triggers are. But the reason why I got there is that I learned to love myself as much as other people do. So that actually when I get to that point, I actually go, I'm worth more than this. I'm worth more than this stress and this lack of sleep. So let's slow down. Let's readdress. Um, and once we get there, um, perfectionism can actually, uh, and, and I, I don't say this lightly, and it's not applicable to, to everything, but perfectionism can actually get quietly exciting. Because you can learn so much about the parts that you can be better than other people at. You can almost hone the gifts that perfectionism give you in a way that ensures that you do beat the competition. And it's not necessarily about being better than everybody else. It's about honing your own abilities to the point where you become this, you know, this, this wonderful machine. That, is, that has been worked on and, and, you know, played with and manipulated and oiled and, and engineered in a way that can, you know, really generate high performance because the people building it really understand the engine. Excellent. Um, and that's, that, that's really interesting. Now, um, for those people, are you um, musicking anymore? Or have you now morphed into a full-time speaker, coach, counsellor um, and such like? On, I, and I'm now... I, I'm now uh, kind of morphed full full time. I actually experienced a uh, repetitive strain injury on Hamilton, which was completely separate from from the heart attack and perfectionism, which sadly has been career ending. Um, oh, it's, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. it's it's been a been a been a journey, shall we say? I understand. I mean, there's you know we all have our bruises and injuries and such like. Yes, you know, we do. It's a, it's a physical job, demanding job, isn't it? And uh, yeah. Right. So let's, for people that need to get in touch with you, um, start, first of all, with your website, which I'm guessing is julianreeve.com. -E it is indeed, yes. E .com. And on there, you'll find all sorts of information. So what will people find on your site, Julian? Um, well, I, I think, I mean, uh, immediately they're, they're met with the TED Talk that I talked about that I did in Santa Barbara in 2019, which is a really kind of fascinating kind of 15 minute watch into uh, perfectionism and kind of my general ethos. Um, but there, there's also ways that you can work with me from uh, personal coaching. If you're a struggling perfectionist, if uh, you manage um, business, um, or you, you, you're kind of, a, you know, CEO and, and any of those types of positions that look after a company's well-being. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work in, in that type of field, identifying how to get perfectionists to perform well so that you're maximizing profit so because their productivity is as high as it can be. Um, and then there's, there's also the, the kind of perfectionism and performance element. So I'm starting to do a lot of work 
um, with kind of conservatories and, you know, big uh, kind of institutions that are training young performers, be they musicians or athletes or actors, etc., um, in terms of how they can develop these, these uh, self-compassion skills early so that they can be the, the best that they can be in healthier ways. And you can therefore, once you're on that site, you can nip over to the uh, captain-perfectionism.com site. And that's the um, the place where the book's held. And I see you can even um, download all sorts of brilliant merch, which I believe is what the young people of today call stuff. <laughs> stuff. Yes, exactly. It's it's That's where the youth have gone with with, with that side of life. No, it's, uh, that, that one is captain-perfection.com. And yeah, I mean, it's that's been a really valuable uh, source of of uh info for parents in lockdown because there, there's some nice kind of free downloads with you know helping kids with anxiety and productivity and all those those things Brilliant. and that's that's where you can get the book which is largely well certainly in in the uk available on amazon right now yeah. maybe in other areas um all of all of the the distributions ongoing so uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's just keep making captain jeff as, as wealthy as we possibly can, so we can uh, send some more absolutely. people to space. Um, Julian, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Um, JulianReeve.com um, and Captain-Perfection.com, uh, Amazon.co.uk for the book. It's been a joy to talk to you. I dare to say it's almost been the perfect conversation. Ah, oh, well done, sir. Well done. No, th- thanks, Russell. It's, it's been uh, been lovely to chat to you. And uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, fellow Brits, nice to have, nice to have the accent um, kind of you know solid for it for a good thirty minutes before. There you go. I just dropped my first tea. Hey. Um, yes, so well, I did. We talked now, over just the put... internet, so we've done yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, we? yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> I, I, I can't go there. Super. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I've really, really appreciated it. Thanks so much. Cheers. Take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.